Hello and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the North Carolina saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been serving up fishing reports, fishing information, fishing events, fishing schools, and now in this latest chapter, the Saltwater Podcast Series and in the Saltwater Podcast Series, we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast, and we ask them to share with us their knowledge, their insights, with the goal to be how to catch more fish more often. Um, And while we do focus on more fish more often, what I think we're also trying to do is just to give you more confidence to get out on the water, more motivation on the water, because truly what we're after is for you to spend more time with more family and friends more often out on the water. I'm joined, as I am in every podcast episode, my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Hello, Billy. What's going on, Gary? Good to see you, man. Yeah, Good man. Good to see you. Excited to talk about our topic today, which I guess I should have set up in the intro, but even before That's I talk right. to you, so I'm going to do it right no now. No rules in podcasting, Gary. Remember. I like that. We do what we want. We're going to talk, Billy, about false albacore in the fall. That's going to be the topic. False albacore right. in the fall. I'm, I'm going to be talking to Captain Andy Bates of Captain Bates Incorporated, and he's fishing out of Beaufort, you know, up there near Atlantic yeah. Beach and Moorhead City. It's going to be a good one. So what we're going to cover, because I know you're curious. I am. We're going to talk about finding fish, because you got to find That's the fish. That's always good, yeah. We're going to talk about gear, and he's going to talk about conventional and flies. So he's got a large oh, fly yeah. contingent when it comes to false albacore fishing. Then, of course, we're going to switch over to terminal tackle. We're going to talk about both lures and flies, catching techniques. So he's savvy. He told me we're not going to talk about fishing techniques. What are we going to talk about? Catching techniques. Catching. That's good. He's confident. I like it. And then he's going to finish, talk a little bit about boat etiquette. Well, whenever you said fly fishing, I was about to hear my cheering sound effect, but I know that you're not into that. You're welcome to. (laughs) Too late now. For the middle school audience would be very excited (laughs) for you to use those sound effects. For the 10 to 13-year-olds, here you go. It's big. It's really big. (laughs) Billy. Oh, man. Too much fun, Gary. Too much fun. Billy, so back to you now. All right. And I need you, Billy. I you need, need you to me. tell our people how to watch, how to listen. I would, but first of all, they wouldn't be able to without Marine Warehouse Center. So I'm going to tell them about Marine Warehouse Center first. Okay. <laughs> I tricked you, Gary. I just took it. You see how I did there? Anyway, go to Marine Warehouse Center. Get you one of these sweet hats. Uh, I got a quick video from them. And we'll be right back. This is Preston with Marine Warehouse Center. We're your headquarters for Carolina Skiff, Sea Chaser, Paramarine, and Sailfish Boat. If you're looking for tons of features and value without compromise, come check out our inventory in person or check us out online. All right, there we go. Get one of those little funnies. I got my I one got of those little funnies. One of those little jokes. Well, if you mean what I'd like to share with you about some time I spent with Terrell, one of the owners of Marine yes, Warehouse Center, I would love it. then the answer is yes. I would like to tell you because he is one a great host and two very funny. Yeah. On the host side, and he always surprises me. But this time, we shared some grape drink and ate some bugles. <laughs> Dude, bugles are good. Did you put them on your finger? Like, did you? All no. four fingers, yeah. All in, eat them off of there? Yeah. And accidentally bite into your fingertip? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love doing that. And he told me a joke. 
He's I'm been doing ready. that. Like every time I go over there and eat and drink, he tells me a fish joke. You want to hear it? Of course. Of course I do. Now, this is Terrell's joke. And I joke. have a sound effect if it's good, and I have a sound effect if it's not. What did the, <laughs> what did the boy octopus say to the girl octopus? I have no idea. I want to hold your hand, 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 <laughs> hand, 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 hand. Yeah, that deserved it. That deserved it. That was perfect. I love that. <laughs> I hope to find an even oh worse joke next time. Goodness, it was perfect. I'm going to start bringing my own jokes too. You know, see if I can gift here. I'll run for his money. But anyway, before I do that, I'm going to let people know how to watch, how to listen. And this is how you do that on Spotify. You can listen on Podbean. You can listen Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can listen on all those platforms. And if you are listening, we really appreciate it. And if you'd rather watch and see Gary's beautiful mug, you can do that on YouTube. And be sure to subscribe to those channels uh, and leave us a comment on there. But but really subscribe. Be a part of the community. We are having a great time building the community. And uh, I mean, you've done a great job with Fisherman's Post for years building community but now it's kind of fun to do that with the podcast version of it so i say man this is our fun new chapter man i'm enjoying this ride and enjoying the feedback enjoying you know watching some numbers all of it yeah absolutely and looking at fish speaking of i need a fish photo look what i got here timothy Steele with a 10 pound false abacore caught on a one ounce pink slash white gunslinger jig that's a good looking fish right false albacore Looks like off a pier, too. I believe it was. That's interesting. I believe it That's was. That's awesome. All right, so, Billy, I need you to pay attention because, I mean, for several reasons. One, it's the polite thing to do. I mean, Andy's <laughs> here to talk to us. But other than that, at the end, at the conclusion, I'm coming to you for Billy's best takeaway. I want you to know. Right. I want to hear what you think is the best takeaway from the information that Captain Andy Bates is getting ready to share with us. I can us. do it. All right. I'm ready, Gary. I believe in you. I'm ready. I believe in you. So that brings us to our guest tonight. I have with us tonight Captain Andy Bates of Captain Bates Incorporated out of the Beaufort area. Andy, welcome to the show. Looking forward to the tonight's episode. Looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, looking forward to it. How you fellas doing? Man, we are doing good. We are doing real good. So here we go. We're going to talk about false albacore in the fall. We're going to talk about finding fish. We're going to talk about gear conventional and fly we're going to talk about terminal tackle including lures and flies catching techniques as well as boat etiquette but before we get that we have two questions for you andy and this is a tradition here on the podcast the first question is why should we listen to what you have to say about a false albacore (laughs) well the false albacore is one of my favorite fish to target and in the fall october november especially it's you know my number one species that i've dedicated the last you know probably over six years to that's when i have the weather to do it that's what i'm fishing for and i've been fortunate to work closely and build uh professionally and friendly relationships with some of the ogs and the light tackle and fly fishing guide industry in the area so you know uh, it's not it's not a backup plan fish to me. This is my go-to in the fall. This is what I like to target as soon as I'm done with the old red drum on the river. All right, right on. I'm I'm excited to continue. I mean, that's quite a setup for talking about false albacore. Second question is our non-fishing related question, and this is when I basically bring the show down. I bring I pull the show down. All right, so here we go. Last name Bates. Putting the word master in front of your last name creates a whole new word. As I'm sure you know, you've never been joked about that, I'm sure, whatever. But that's not where I'm going. What I'm going with this is I'm sure you have been joked by putting master in front of your last name. So I would like you to give me one other word 
that has master in the beginning and ends with another word. Master. Cylinder. I think that counts. That might be two uh, words. That might be two words. <laughs> but we're going to let it go, right? We don't no, have any I don't, rules. I don't have a fact check. Do you have an answer? <laughs> Billy? I think it's hyphenated. Master tech. No. You guys aren't good at this. Mastermind. <laughs> oh, mastermind. Masterpiece. Oh, okay. Masterful. Well, huh. so, but that's all right. I mean, on with the show. I Let's mean, talk about false albacore. Yeah, no advantage being an English professor. So we could talk. <laughs> we could talk gear. We could. We could start that. But I like Andy's approach. We got to find the fish before anything else. We got to find the fish. Andy, it is fall time. The false albacore have moved in closer. How do we find them? All right. So you know. Uh, Day to day, it, it depends on the wind. Uh, I'm using primarily sight to locate birds, bait, fish popping. So ideally, I want to go to the areas where the water is going to be the calmest at so I can see the furthest, have the best sight conditions to find the fish. Also, just from fishing in the area that I fish, essentially from a Bogue inlet to drum inlet, you know, depending on the wind direction, the fish can typically set up in certain areas. So I'm going to, you know, if we have a northeast wind pattern for three or four days, I've got my areas that I want to go check on that. If it all of a sudden switches southwest after three days of that, I'm going to go check some different areas. So it's uh, when I come out the inlet, Beaufort Inlet or Barnes Inlet, whatever inlet I'm coming out of, it's all initially wind driven on where i'm going to start looking now once i get an area in mind that i want to check i'm hunting the whole way to that area shoot you might come up uh if everybody's on the boat is looking and working together you might come up with fish before you ever get to the area that you have in mind so definitely looking for excited birds tight knots diving down hard i'm gonna i'm gonna move the boat closer to them uh see bait shower and see but fish pop and you know that's that's the main keys i'm looking for well let me ask you a follow-up question on wind because i think that's intriguing and i'm not sure i totally grasp so you know beyond beyond just coming out of beaufort inlet so if the wind is blowing off the beach how does that affect where you look for fish if the wind is blowing on the beach how does that affect how you're looking for fish all right, so this is all, you know, we're talking textbook stuff. Obviously, uh, it can change. The fish don't read the books that we write and the notes that we take. But typically, hard north wind, northwest and northeast, so that was essentially coming off of our beach, blowing offshore. The fish are going to end up closer to the beach, typically. So uh, not to mention the closer to the beach, the calmer it is, it's going to be easier to find them. If it's blowing hard northeast for a few days, uh, you're liable to find them up in the surf, and that's what the surf guys uh, love to see those conditions when they're looking for them. Now, like today, we've had you know we had some north the last couple of days. Today shifts out of south southeast, and it kind of changes things a little bit. It didn't push them into those areas as tight, and they were a little bit harder to find. We had to cover a whole lot more ground, and uh, and end up finding them a little bit further away from the beach. So blowing on the beach, you tend to look for them a little bit further off. Blowing off the beach, then it actually pulls them in a little bit closer. Kind yeah, of like yeah, anti-red drum almost. You know, where wind's pushing on yeah. the shore, you go to that shore. 
And then I think you said you talked about birds, and uh, but it's not every bird that you like to follow. It's certain birds that get you more excited about the chances. Yeah, typically if I'm just seeing a few pelicans in in the surf zone diving together, just pelicans by themselves, that doesn't get me too excited. Now, naturally, uh, there can be fish with them, but the goals and the turns is is the birds that I like to see. And that's because of because why why do you think so that... the the goals are gonna the goals are they're uh gonna pick up the more so the scraps that the albacore are you know they're just crashing and devastating these bait balls so the pieces that they miss the dead fish or whatever the goals are gonna come and and pick those scraps up and when you're finding fish when the goal is to find fish and they're isn't sur- or maybe there is surface activity but there isn't whatever are you also using your machine to find fish or really it's a visual hunt no it's it's definitely uh definitely electronics come into play for sure uh let's say you know you go out first thing in the morning we're you know going to an area that had fish the day before you show up first thing in the morning and you're seeing a few birds kind of moseying around up high searching nothing too exciting no surface activity, but you're marking marking bait on your graph. You know, you're 15, 20 feet of water in the bottom five or six feet loaded with bait, mid columns loaded with bait. If I'm seeing that, I'm more apt to stay in that area and and just kind of wait it out. Or you could do some blind casting with, with casting metals as well. Excuse me. But it could be that everything you have all the puzzle pieces there but the tide might be slack or it might be you know midway through the falling tide midway through the incoming tide or whatever the tide might not be quite right but if you have all the key pieces it feels fishy you got the birds got but it's not quite all developed yet and i'm and i marked that stuff on my graph i'm going to spend more time there waiting for it to develop before i just go burning gas looking and so what's the I don't know that much about it. I'm realizing I don't know that much about a false albacore. Are they, this time of year, this fall, are they moving north to south? Are they typically heading in one direction, like all the schools? Or is it, you know, they're just working different areas? What What is the habit of the false albacore in the fall? Okay, so in a whole, in the broad scheme of things, that the majority of these fish are migrating south right now. Now, they might stay here you know, pods of them and stay here till January. I think some of them, and this could be a whole nother show with a scientist and marine biologist that know a lot more about these fish than I do. And I don't think they've been studied that much, but I'm under the impression that we have several different subspecies of fish that, that operate differently. I feel like our bigger fish don't necessarily migrate North and South as much as they do off, off to the deep, towards the Gulf stream in the summertime and then back in here in the wintertime. But we for sure have a, uh, a migratory group of fish moving from North to South right now. All right, man. Well, um, I'll tell you what I, I'll do. I'll do this time to set up any other thoughts on finding fish. My, you know, I'm going to move us into gear question, but I, you know, I don't like to move quicker than you want to move. Anything else about finding fish that I haven't set you up to share? Uh, yeah, just, the bait, you know, the glassman's bay anchovies. Find the bait, find the birds, and even if you don't see them pop right away, 
hangout. You know, uh, I like earlier, you know, part of your intro, you said something about confidence and anybody that's ever heard me speak at any of your classes and schools, uh, confidence is a big thing. So we've got the puzzle pieces, you know, we got some pretty nice looking water. We got bait either on top or on the graph. We got birds, but we have a slack tide and we're waiting for it to, you know, have the confidence to, to wait it out and wait for that to kind of come into fruition. Um, I'm guilty of it. A lot of times where I'll leave a situation sooner than I should. Uh, and then, but sometimes I wait it out longer than what, you know, some of my buddies might that day, they go riding. I wait an extra 15, 20 minutes in area and it fires off. So that all comes down to confidence and just time on the water and going with your gut feeling for that situation. And so now in your conversation just now, it made me think of something else. I mean, are you always looking for pretty water? Are you always looking for the prettiest water? Or sometimes like right in that like low tide flush of the inlet where it's not the prettiest water, you'll still find fish? Yeah, absolutely. They, I mean, obviously we want, whenever we're targeting anything on the ocean, we want pretty water, but they will definitely feed in dirty, nasty water as well. All right, man. So let's shift over to gear now. And I like that you have just as much emphasis on fly as conventional. In fact, I think with false albacore, I think I've heard you say before that you've got more fly clients than conventional clients. But of course, you cater to both, knowledgeable about both. So let's start. You choose. You can talk about conventional or fly, but let's let's hit one of them first. All right, we'll start with with the spinning stuff first. Uh, get that out of the way. <laughs> but uh, so when I'm targeting, I'm. We'll start with the rods, uh, medium to medium heavy rods, probably pretty typical. I do fish medium lights sometimes with 2,500s, but ideally medium, medium heavy, 3,000 series to 5,000 series rod, six nines are real, and then a six nine seven foot rod, 15 to 20 pound braid. The lighter the braid you can get away with, the better off, so you're getting your casting distance. Because as, as you well know that, these fish don't always present, they don't just come up and just stay feeding on top, like handing themselves on a silver platter to us. It can be like playing whack-a-mole and really having to work for it, bomb your cast, precision, precision cast. You want to be able to do it quickly and, and effectively when they show themselves briefly when they're being aggravating. Did you say so, what size braid you like as just a go-to? 15 to 20 pound braid. What, the, the lightest braid that you feel comfortable, you know, throwing uh, if you want to, you know, a medium rod, 3000 series reel, 10 or 12 pound braid is more than adequate. And you can get some really good distance throwing a half ounce or three quarter ounce bait with them. All right. So we're, we're not yet moving into terminal tackle. So now I'm going to push you over to gear, you know, rod and reel when it comes to fly. Yeah. So, uh, when I first started fly fishing for him, probably close to 15 years ago now, I was, you know, seven, eight weights, uh, but the longer that I've done this, the more I've seen that the nine and 10 weights is just the most practical rod, fly rod weights for these fish. Even when you're catching, you know, the smaller size, which smaller is uh, four to four to eight pound fish is, you know, kind of on the, the, the smaller end of the fish that we catch. The nine weight, you know, there's very rarely you have any days down here where it's not blowing something and more times than not 10, you know, blowing 10. So nine weight or 10 weight with an intermediate line. I, I, I like an intermediate line, even for the fish on the surface. Uh, I feel you can punch it 
into the wind better and get your distance easier than fishing a floating line. Uh, not to mention it's a little more versatile. So, you know, obviously the goal is to find busting fish, put ourselves in a boat position to where we can make a fly cast into the busting fish and to strip and get them to eat the fly. There are some days where that's extremely difficult, but you can mark them and you're marking schools of them down. You know, say you're fishing 45, 50 foot of water and you're marking them down 20 to 25 feet. You can take that same intermediate line and cast up, upwind and or ahead of you as you're drifting down drift and you can count that intermediate line down and get down deep enough to get to those fish without having to you know totally switch lines or put that rod away and grab another rod so it's a, it's a lot more versatile no i follow that logic i mean i'm not fly f- efficient not fly fluent but i follow i'm able to follow that logic you just said so let's go. Uh, let's go to terminal tackle because I'm sure you got some thoughts on that. And again, I think with the gear you started with spinning, so we'll go with we'll go with lures first, and then you can move over to flies. Yeah. So uh, you know, on the spinning gear, there's essentially there's two different types of lures uh, that I that I'll throw to these fish. Casting metals. We'll say a sting silver type bait, since you know that's a, a well-known just a cast of metal like that minnow profile. Most of what I throw is three-quarter ounce. Um, I feel like they eat that smaller bait better most of the time than they do. You know, you can catch them on one and one and a half, uh, especially if you're throwing a medium heavy. You're gonna you probably want to throw the one ounce so you can get your distance. But uh, so casting metal uh, that Tim Steele makes the Gunslingers. Uh, there's a bunch of other different brands. I make my own, but I'll carry bright colors, chartreuse and pink, silver flash down the side. You know, most of the, the no matter what size that the glass minnows, bay anchovies are, they're feeding on. They'll feed on all the way from the fry up to the adult. They almost all have the silver strip down their side, and I like that almost every metal that I throw has that silver flash down the side, whether it's a chartreuse and pink, whether it's a solid white, I like solid white, like white and pink, uh, tan, tan or dark back with a white bottom silver flash down the side. So the, the cast of metals, uh, they're, they cast the furthest. A, a lot of times the fish will feed on them, but sometimes they get finicky and it's hard to get a bite on metal. So if that's the case, throw soft plastics on a swim bait hook, a weighted or unweighted swim bait hook. That's one time I like to go down to a medium light on you know a 2,500 reel and 10 pound braid is throwing an unweighted swim bait hook with a Zoom Fluke and Albi Snack, soft plastic of that type that I can cast out and rip across the surface. Now, I don't throw, I don't cast those. I'm fishing very often on the light stuff, so I'll throw a weighted swim bait hook with the same soft plastics on the medium with 15-pound braid, you know, a shot of 20-pound leader on the top and cast those. And uh, the way I work those normally is hold the rod tip kind of up and ripping it just as fast as you can reel it where it's, out of the water as much as it's in the water, just skipping across the top. So if they're being finicky and they're feeding on what we call snot bait, 
or fry of these small bait fish and they're more of a they'll turn into more of a filter feeder instead of keying in on individual bait fish to eat you can get bring that thing across the top and get a reaction by them they'll actually blow up on it sometimes they'll come all the way out of the water with it or you know it's a it's a surface feed reaction bite is what we're trying to go for with the soft plastics all right so again i i got a couple of follow-up questions so for the metal it seems like you like the silver flash down the side but otherwise color doesn't matter as much as perhaps the size of the metal yeah, I think the size and the profile and uh, matters most. Now, color definitely can matter, uh, but the you know a solid white with a silver flash is it's a go-to. It covers a lot of it looks like a lot of different baits that they feed on. But and I've, I've run into this with uh, you know people on my boat that are getting frustrated from not getting bit. Sometimes what's more important than the color is where you cast when you cast you know one good cast is worth 10 bad casts uh you might get bit if you miss the school by 15 feet but if you kind of read the school of fish and they're moving left to right and you put it ahead of them past them and get the momentum of that bait moving by the time the school's moving towards that bait you're more likely to get bit than if you throw it straight on top of the fish so where you where you fish it and how you're fishing it is probably more important than color to me and then on the soft plastic I mean, again, I'm, you're giving me so much information to digest. I'm loving it. You're saying like a four-inch soft plastic. And, again, just to yeah, be clear, four, four, just to make sure people pick up on it, is like you are not putting any action on that like people are used to doing with a soft plastic. It's like a four-inch, you know, with some action, and it's just burn it across the top as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Now, All sometimes, right. you know, sometimes they don't – if you do that a few times and they don't blow up on it, don't eat it, Give it, you know, let it sink for just a second, then start bringing it across it. Maybe, you know, instead of 100% real speed, maybe 75% real speed. Maybe to, sometimes they will hit it subsurface a little bit better, but more times than not, when they're being finicky, you can get that, that uh, reaction bite on the surface with them for sure. All right, so let's transition over to flies, and I need to tell you that please use simple vocabulary I mean, even though I played with you with the word master and having a, you know, you have no reason not to dish it back out to me, but talk to me about flies and language that a non-fly guy can follow. Well, you know me well enough by now, Gary, that you know I'm not a super technical person anyways. I like to catch fish. I like to put people on fish, and I like to use what works. Uh, so, in, in just like the casting metals, I want to imitate the forage that they feed on most of the time, which is silver sized glass when it's bay anchovies type. So thin profile, a little bit of flash mid. So clouser minnows and anybody that's been fly fishing for more than two days knows what a clouser minnow is. Bob Clouser designed it a million years ago and it for smallmouth and it is effective for so many different species. It's simple, easy to learn to tie and very effective it's got a nice profile you can cut down on your material a little bit to make it even thinner if you want so clouser minnows solid white white and tan white and olive uh hot pink chartreuse tutti frutti color what we call it go-to staples if you put those in your box you can catch false albacore almost every day of the season that you find the fish uh also to even get easier than that is 
just some little epoxy head flies and there's all kinds that, that have different names you can get fancy as you want or keep it as simple as you want one of the, tie, the flies that i tie for them uh, a little bit of bucktail two little hackle feathers tips of the hackle feathers and then a little bit more bucktail on the bottom of the shank of the hook wrap it up a little bit of epoxy on the end you can put eyes on it you don't have to not put eyes on it and just keeping it simple like that now i do tie larger profile flies to imitate the pilchards and the greenies or thread fins when they get on that stuff stuff it's kind of uh you know downsized version of my my big menhaden flies but uh i like keeping it simple when it comes to flies i'm not particularly fond of sitting down at the bench and spending an hour on a fly that you know a spanish or a bluefish might bite off <laughs> okay i follow I, I did follow that all right, and I alluded to this at the beginning of the show. I do like it. I do like in your notes that you sent to me that we're not talking fishing techniques. We're talking catching techniques. I think we'll follow the same pattern, and you've already hit on some of these. I mean, I know, but we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around. Spinning, talk to me about catching techniques. We found some fish. We've got the right stuff tied on. How do I make it? How do I put it all together? All right, so we found some fish. We got some busting fish. We got a guy on the bow of the boat with a spinning rod. The fish are staying up pretty consistent for us. We might stay up for, you know, a minute, two minutes, go back down, but enough time that we can work on getting our boat into position. And, and we'll just, you know, perfect world situation. Uh, say we're the only boat there. We got a light northeast wind, five to ten. Everything's beautiful. Got birds working into the wind like they typically do. They're following the fish. The fish are feeding into the wind or the tide. What I want to do, I want to get my boat, in a position ahead of where the fish are going, you know, and then let the fish come to me and let the tide and the wind blow me to the fish. As I'm doing that, as soon as I make my turn and I tell them, hit them, I'll tell my guys, hit them or, or, or get them or whatever. I want to throw past the fish and rip it back. So if, if I'm, if the fish are feeding directly to us, you're going to cast straight through them and bringing it, bringing that bait, through the fish back to me, back to the boat, or if we're if the fish are parallel with us moving, you're going to cast, you know, just like if you're wing shooting uh, a duck, you're going to lead them. You got to lead them and and throw up, give your bait time to hit the water ahead of them, close your bail and start ripping that thing back, as bring the bait back to the surface, give it time to start moving, and they you're trying to intercept them essentially now if they're sitting there just i mean on red bait and just staying in one spot crushing it uh ease up within you know 70 100 feet up wind kind of drift into them and just put a cast right into them or right past them and bring it through them it's a lot simpler does not always work that more days than not you're trying to hit a moving target and are you wary of disrupting the school like you keeping the boat from getting too close you can't I mean, they can be you know they can definitely be boat shy uh not to mention if i've got a spinning rod guy and i put my boat right on top of these fish they're actually harder to catch when they're almost crushing into the side of the boat than if they're out there 40 50 feet okay i follow that but they can be they can be boat shy too so we can get into that later when we talk boat etiquette but they definitely can be boat shy. You know, if they're up feeding really hard and I just pile my boat right on top of them, they're going to go down. 
And then that same pattern that uh, that exists with, even if I don't have metal in my hand, even if I'm doing your soft plastic technique, the same kind of scenario yeah, the, unfolds. Yeah, the soft the soft plastic. It's just a little trickier with the soft plastic. You got to be more mindful of of your wind. You definitely, you know, you cannot punch that into the wind as good as you can a metal. So, you know, the soft plastic technique is kind of uh, kind of in between the metal and fly fishing, where you got, you know, the boat position is. It's a little more, more important than metal, but not quite as important as fly fishing. All right. So now let's talk about um, catching techniques with the fly. I'm guessing that's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, uh, it definitely comes down to a lot on boat position and, uh, and, and boat handling can. So I'm talking, you know, fairly tough conditions. The fish are up and down like most days. The best days that everything's just chaos and you just put it in the water and they eat it. So we'll just say, you know, they're moving uh, into the wind like typical. I'm going to try to position my boat upwind and drift them, drifting into them, cutting them off to where they're going. I may have to use the motor forward or back a little bit to line us up just right. And typically, if I've got a right-handed caster, I'm going to try to put the school at his 10 or 11 o'clock off the bow. So that way he's casting off his strong side. And, you know, with as few false casts as possible, he's got the wind coming off his right shoulder towards the fish. He can, you know, slightly angle fly rod or sidearm cast, shoot, you know, one or two false casts and shoot it out at 10, 11 o'clock. He can actually keep up with his fly with his strip and I'm not drifting towards it. You know, I, I find myself and, you know, I'll shoot myself in the foot and beat myself in the head about it. You know, almost every fly trip I'll coming in a little bit too hot and got too much momentum. He lays down a pretty fly, but I've still got forward momentum going towards the fish with the boat. Even though I put it in neutral, the forward momentum, he can't come tight on his fly line and he might not get a bite or might miss a bite just because he cannot come tight fast enough. Now, if I find I'm doing that, I'll try to turn the wheel, still in neutral, turn the wheel away from the fish where he can kind of cast uh, at an angle towards the stern a little bit so the boat's momentum will actually help him instead of it's a lot of it's with boat handling. So I think I follow. So we like having the wind at the back and we like sort of playing to that strong side if he is a right-handed caster. And I think I followed what you said at the end. It's like you also, while you want to get the boat close enough so that the casting distance will reach him, if you're forward going, then it affects his ability to strip the bait back. Is that what I'm hearing? Cause I'm guessing right, that's yeah, the yeah, action. Yeah. If I, if I come if, if I come into a school too hot, it can be detrimental to them. Now, if I come in kind of hot, what I'll try to do the last second is turn the wheel. You know, if they're on if they're on my port side, I'm gonna turn starboard hard, and where the boat's actually turning away from the school of fish, and he can lay a cast back down towards you know say eight or nine o'clock. I follow. And then the forward momentum helps him with his stripping. So what is the what is the bigger challenge? when you have the fly rod in your hand, is it distance or is it accuracy in this type of fishery? I'm going to say distance. Uh, there is a, obviously there's an element of accuracy, but distance, distance is probably number one on that. And that's probably why I'm, a, I'm an ugly fly caster because I focused on distance and, you know, like we talked about before, I get buck fever on tailing redfish and I line them all the time because I'm not the most accurate. Okay. If anybody, you're, you're basically you're trying to hit an area target instead of a point target right so we, we need to hit that area and we need to hit the right spot of that area but the more importantly you know casting 
60 to 80 feet is is ideal that's what's going to be my question like 60 80 feet i was going to say all right if i am i can, imagine I can my work s- with less i can work with less but it's a lot easier <laughs> if you can get out of 80 feet all right that was going to be my question like if i'm preparing for this like what target do i want to have if i'm out in the field and i'm trying to get my distance down 60 80 feet is a good well, goal anyway, i mean if you're 50 feet with two false casts we, we can work with we can I believe you with. can. I believe you're good at that. I believe you're good at making people better on your boat. Um, what else? I, I, we are going to finish with boat technique, uh, boating etiquette. But before that, I mean, final thoughts on metal and soft plastics, final thoughts on fly when it comes to, you know, hooking <clears throat> and bringing the fish into the boat. Yeah. So uh, I did one thing I just popped in my head. So whether we're spinning rod fishing, metal, soft plastics, whatever, uh, or fly fishing. We're in an area where these schools are popping up and going back down really quickly. My, I'm trying to put my guys on busting fish. However, if I'm in an area and there's multiple schools up and down, up and down, look, I'm just going to drift. I might cut the motor off. I'm just going to drift there and let them pop up around us. And we'll make, and I've, I've talked about, I've talked about this almost every day on the boat. We will blind cast in these situations and catch a lot of fish blind casting. Uh, blind casting with a fly in it spinning, retrieving it as soon as it hits the water, or letting it sink if I've got a lot of big marks on a graph or whatnot, letting it sink and retrieving it. Now, if you really want to catch them busting, which a lot of people do, especially fly guys, man, I've got a lot of, you get a lot of fly guys that, I don't, you know, they don't care about catching one in the blind. They want to get that eat while they're up there surface feeding. If you are making blind casts, it can be detrimental to get it on surface feeding fish because as soon as you, you know, bomb a 60-foot cast out or, you know, cast all down to your mono on your spinning rod to the left, a school is going to pop up 30 feet to your right. So we will drift through those areas if you want to wait for busting fish wait for they pop up if you want to make blind casts a lot of times what i'll do if i got two spinning rod guys or three i'll have some of them blind casting one guy's holding you know holding his bait with his finger on the trigger ready to fire if a surface you know feed goes off right next to us makes sense i i like that strategy all right boat etiquette i'm guessing not everyone does what they're supposed to do out there and as as is people are recognizing now that we live in a world where most more more people are Working remotely, it seems like there's more boats than ever out on the water, more fishing pressure. So people don't want people want to do the right thing. They don't want to do the wrong thing. Help us out. What is the expected boat etiquette out there? Fish are coming well, up. You know, what do we do? Yeah, so, you know, you're in a popular area, well-known area where there's lots of fish, lots of boats, easy to get to, whatnot. We've got several pods coming up, kind of like I just briefly talked about just a second ago. The pods are coming up. Now, it is hard not to want to full throttle to every school of fish that pops up. And if you're by yourself, and if I'm on the east side or, you know, at Northwest Place and I'm the only one out there out fishing or whatever that day, yeah, I might do a little more of that than, than when I'm in a kind of community hole or popular area. But if you're in a popular area, there's 30, 40, 50 boats out here and you know, 10 schools that are popping up periodically. The best thing to do is to 
get upwind and try to drift into those fish or just drift and wait for them to pop up around you. But if, if you're one of the handful of guys that, and it's hard not to fall into this, I'm, I've been guilty of it before. And especially once you start getting frustrated through the morning where you're easing into a school from upwind and you get cut off by other boats, it, it starts wearing on you, especially when I'm like, man, these people are paying me to put them on fish and I'm trying to take my time and get in here and keep getting cut off. It's hard not to fall into that groove. But if everybody would just kind of slow down a little bit, let the fish do their thing, whatever boats are around them, go in, get hooked up. The fish move on past them. The next guys get on that group of fish or you ease up wind, put yourself in a position. Look, uh, another thing too that, that helps me a lot so if we are in that situation, the schools of fish are popping up and these boats are all, you know, four boats, five boats bomb into the school right at one time. I'll kind of ease back a little bit, just kind of slow down and I'll watch and see which way them schools are going. A lot of it's just like casting your lure into those fish. If you cast at those fish, a lot of times you're not going to connect. You've got to lead them. So it's the same thing with the boat. These guys bomb right in on that school, but that school might be moving five knots you know north and you go in there by the time you get there you might get one cast but if you just took your time and cut them off and and lead them shut them you know put the boat down into neutral and just let them come to you and let the wind push you to them the fish will stay up longer and you'll get more shots at them sounds simple i mean it it is and it's hard not to get out there and get competitive and you want to be on every one of the busting fish but i it's it's a different mindset when you're in in a community and you know i know we've all been guilty of i'm sure i probably got cussed today but it's we just all need to slow down let the fish do their thing and everybody's going to get their shots uh if i'm in an area like that and i've got a guy on the bow that hooks up and the fish are still kind of doing their thing and i see a couple other boats want to get shots at them my guys hooked up on the bow i'm putting the boat in clutch reverse and just kind of easing away from that school and let them other guys get a shot we've already got our fish on we're going to get our fish all right, I follow you. Hey, this is the part of the show where I once again say, hey, man, any final thoughts on False Albacore? I mean, there's been a lot of information dialed in, very helpful. I know it's going to be popular, but I hate to say goodbye without giving you one more chance for a final thought. No, I just, uh, you know, I get a lot of people calling, like, well, can we eat them? These people have never targeted them. No, you know, I, I guess there is recipes out there. I've never tried them. I'm taking all the old-timers' word for them that they're not good to eat. They're a bloody fish. But don't let that, if you've never targeted these fish, don't let that deter you from giving them a try just because, you know, the pure excitement of, you know, on the hunt, you're hunting for these fish, you find the fish, you see them just massacring stuff, you cast in, hook up, and they're pulling drag, and, you know, they, they're hard fighters, they don't give up, and, you know, they're a lot of fun, generally near shore to the beach where a lot more people can target them than going out you know, yellowfoot fishing or whatever. All right. Hey, man. Final, uh, so in this finality of the episode, this is where I say Andy Bates is more than false albacore. Give us the quick, give us the highlight reel of what Captain Andy Bates is targeting throughout the year. Start in the springtime and then walk me into the winter. All right. So springtime, uh, false albacore in the spring, uh, landing bonita in the spring, uh, spring false albacore real quick is kind of underrated in this area. We have a lot of fish March, February, March, April. 
problem is the weather pattern. We start getting a lot more southwest winds where it makes it harder to target them. We might have to run 10, 15 miles out in less than ideal conditions, but we have a lot of false albacore then. And when I get free time that time of year, that's what I'm doing. So Atlantic Bonita, we roll right over into the Spanish and King season, uh, late spring, early summer. Do that through the end of July. Then I'm rolling up to the Noose River, and I'm targeting nothing but adult red drum on days that I can. Trout fishing, backup plan, slot drum fishing, the backup plan. But primarily end of July to the beginning of October, I'm adult red drum fishing for the trophy redfish. Noose River, as soon as that starts winding down, I'm shifting gears, coming back down to the beach, and it's, it's false albacore till duck season. Until duck season. All right. Andy, thank you, man. I've enjoyed talking false albacore. Yeah, enjoy you. fishing with you. Enjoy hanging out with you. Great show. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, man. All right, Billy. All right, man. Now, don't be trying to tell me you're messing with technical equipment and not paying attention to the podcast. <laughs> I, can't, I don't have time for that. I want Billy's uh, best takeaway. Uh, that's fine. You've been waiting for someone to talk fly. He talked uh, fly. No. And if your best takeaway doesn't involve a fly item, I'm disappointed. I, I mean, honestly, I think I was running around this room <laughs> making sure cameras worked when he was talking about fly. Because <laughs> I'm like, that's going to be one of my takeaways because I love fly fishing. But uh, I guess if I owned a boat, the drifting and, and the neutral, because, you know, I mean, I've fished with a couple guys and it was run and gun and, yeah. and, and smash them and, you know, trying to chase them down. So, like, to chill out and drift in and out of them and let them come to you is, is kind of an interesting I was surprised uh, Andy was so comprehensive I was surprised he didn't talk about your fly technique for false albacore oh yeah just pulling yeah. the fly behind the boat just like trolling it, and then just it. hoping a fish is yeah. dumb enough to hit to it and then it. you go hey look at me yeah. I, I caught one on the fly and I really like to let the captain do that and then just <laughs> hand me the rod that's what I really prefer to do because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I have to work on my 80 feet, you know. <laughs> we all have to work on our 60 to 80 feet. Uh, dude, I was so bad. The captain was like, take your shoes off so you can feel the fly line because I was getting it twisted on my feet. Anyway, it's a wrong story. It ain't worth telling. Oh, man, where are we at? I'm how to watch, how to listen. Here we go. Back to how to watch, how to listen. If you're watching or listening, we really appreciate it. Uh, and here's some other ways you can listen. We're on Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Uh, be sure to subscribe to those. That's the biggest way you can help the algorithm. And then also check out our uh, videos on YouTube. And it's just a fisherman's post there on YouTube. And be sure to subscribe to those channels and uh, leave us some comments. Let us know how we're doing. If you want to hear about something we're not talking about, let us know. Yeah, we are open to suggestions. I mean, I think yeah. a couple of our latest podcast episodes have come through suggestions, and I'm sitting on a couple more looking forward to finishing out the yeah. year. Yeah, man. Well, Gary, good job at booking all these great guests, man. I mean, man. I never tell you that. I never pat you on the back enough, but good job. Man, I am. <laughs> I have long said out. I am fortunate, man. I've made so many great friendships in this game, and this is – I'm enjoying that part of it is getting ready to, yeah. you know, talking more with these guys that I enjoy spending time on the water with. Yep. Well, I know for Andy, his phone's going to ring with my father-in-law on the other end. All right. I'm a, I want to be on that trip. <laughs> Let's go. All right. You pay, we'll go. <laughs> Wait a second. We'll talk off camera. All right, Billy. That thank you, awesome, man. man. Thank you so much, Gary. Fisherman.